0: Well, welcome, to everybody, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And looking forward to uh, lots of stuff on today's show. Well, frankly, I'm looking forward to all of it. But uh, got a special guest and a return guest. He was on here just uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, but have him back because the draft is coming up straight on Monday. And that special guest is Alan Jager from Jager Sports. So uh, I think I'll have some really Good, helpful insight uh, into uh, not only what might happen uh, in the draft itself, but some of the dynamics that occur uh, in the minor leagues after uh, your favorite uh, draft prospects get into organizations. So we're gonna we're gonna go a level deeper uh, on that topic, but uh, we're gonna get started with the news and uh, the big news uh, going into today is Kevin Kiermeyer who has a fractured hip. Uh, he heard it uh, yesterday's game, sliding into first base. And uh, so that's uh, terrible news for Kiermaier and uh, also, of course, terrible news for his fantasy owners. So he is expected to miss a minimum of two months with that fractured hip. Um, in a related development, uh, the Rays lineup is actually the first one out For the nighttime games, we've got one daytime game going on right now, Rockies and Cubs. We'll check in on that one a little later. But the Rays lineup is out, and replacing Kiermaier uh, in center field and in the leadoff spot is Malik Smith. Uh, So I would expect that Smith probably would uh, pick up a fair amount of playing time. And, of course, as you all know him from previous stints, both with the Rays and with the Braves, that uh, Smith – could be a good source of stolen bases, but um, yeah, that's just awful news for Kiermaier. Um, so out for at least two months. And um, sticking with the Rays, manager Kevin Cash uh, told the Tampa Bay Times that there is definite concern about Matt Duffy, that his heel is still just not feeling right, still working through the injury. So uh, if you've been hanging on to Matt Duffy, and I mean, that's probably more in deeper leagues. Uh, there looks like there'll be even more of a delay there in terms of getting him back. If you've been concerned about how much playing time Tim Beckham might get in the near future, it looks like his uh, status as a regular for the Rays is, is safe for, for now uh, because of Duffy's situation. And also, uh, Kevin Cash has announced that Matt Andreessen will be back in time for Saturday's doubleheader. So uh, Matt Andreessen will start game two with Erasmo Ramirez starting game one and that means that jacob ferria who uh took the place of andres and had that really really nice major league debut on wednesday uh that uh, he has been sent back down to triple a durham so a lot of comings and goings uh, there with the rays uh going into today and uh another pretty big news item kyle, kyle hendricks has been placed on the 10-day dl got uh, tender nice in the back of his right hand, but it's expected to be a minimum stay for him, uh, for Kyle Hendricks. So, Dylan Hendricks, no reason to panic there. So, we got more news coming up. We've got the next Zach kozart the next player that's going to make you crazy. So, we'll cover all that uh, when we come right back for break. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. This is FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. Always the best lead-in music. I love it. Uh, so, as I mentioned earlier, we've got Alan Jager coming on the show. Actually, he'll be here for the next segment. And uh, a lot more news and stand-up performances to get to. But before we get to any of that, let me tell you about the world's premier 24-7 fan- Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. It is Something you can take with you wherever you go. You can download the Fantasy Sports Radio app now in the iTunes Store or on Google Play and listen for free anytime or anywhere. You can hear Tony Sincata on the treadmill, Benny Riccardi in your car, or Greg Sussman on the subway. Whatever mode of transportation, you can take the experts with you. You can relax with the king on the couch or with Jake Seeley when you're jogging. We'll keep you updated, informed wherever you go. So get the Fancy Sports Radio app for free right now in the iTunes Store or on Google Play, and take the experts with you. A uh, little bit of news uh, coming out of uh, the break here. Not not a major thing, but you know, thinking about uh, you know Malik Smith leading off uh, for the Rays, taking the place of uh, Kevin Kiermaier in center field. Uh, the White Sox have claimed Alan Hansen from the Pirates, and there's somebody who's. Always to me, looked, or not always, but in the last couple of years, looked like a potential sneaky source of steals at some point if he would just get an opportunity. I think he's got a much better opportunity of cracking the White Sox lineup, maybe uh, getting in there at at second base at some point. I know we've got Yohan Moncada coming up at at some point, but uh, that's a situation to keep an eye on if you're looking for steals, particularly in a a deeper format where steals are very hard to get, that uh, little news item. Caught my eye a bit. Uh, according to Ned Yost, Salvador Perez has a slight thumb sprain, so I uh, have not seen the Royals lineup yet. Uh, it is not out. I'm just checking right now. I've uh, Got a few more lineups in, but uh, not the not the Royals, who are have they have a 10 o'clock start, so we probably won't get that during the show today. Uh, they're going to be at San Diego, but anyhow. So Sal Perez, uh, definitely one to keep an eye on. Looks like he uh, could be out for a bit. Yolanda uh, Cespedes, however, has resumed his rehab assignment. Uh, got back on that yesterday, so good news there for Yolanda Cespedes. Um, moving on to, they uh, like said you know lineups got a couple more lineups in. We got the weather. Uh, let's go to that first because that should be pretty quick. There's really not a lot of threatening weather around the major leagues for tonight's slate. Uh, the one game that you probably should keep an eye on is the White Sox at Cleveland at game time. There's a 24% chance of precipitation, but that's going to go up to 55% by nine o'clock Eastern. And that's a seven o'clock Eastern start for uh, the White Sox and the Indians. So uh, definitely uh, keep an eye on that. And particularly uh, you got Corey Kluber there starting for Cleveland. So I'm sure that's somebody who's going to be in many, many lineups tonight want to make sure that he Gets uh, gets that uh, regulation start for you in that game. So that's uh, certainly one to watch. Um, all righty, so back to the lineups. As I mentioned before, we got the Rays lineup out with Malik Smith uh, in center field leading off. Uh, and talked about Tim Beckham. He's in there at shortstop. Dana Robertson once again at second base. And they're playing the A's at Tropicana Field. We've also got the A's lineup out. And uh, you got Chad Pinder there at shortstop. So, uh, you know, he's been a nice emerging power source. So good to see him in there in the lineup once again. Uh, But otherwise, nothing there that looks too surprising. And you got, uh, well, Jacob Brugman in uh, left field for the athletics. And we got the Pirates lineup. And that uh, looks pretty standard. You got Jacob Stallings behind the plate. and Of course, uh, you've got... Uh, Francisco Cervelli on the concussion DL so you got Stallings and Elias uh, Diaz splitting the catching duties there for uh for Pittsburgh. Otherwise looks like a pretty pretty normal lineup for them. So we'll keep you updated on those lineups as they uh, come across. But let's uh take a look at some of the standout performances from Thursday and as I teased before the break, there's a player who for me is now emerging as what I would think of is the new Zach Cozart. Now we had a segment on the show. Uh, I think it was, now I'm trying to remember if that was, I think it might've been Monday. It was some, sometime this week where I tried once and for all to solve the riddle that is Zach Cozart because I come on here two, three times a week and talk about how it's absolutely impossible for Cozart to keep doing what he's doing. And I'm saying that in response to the fact that he keeps doing what he's doing <laughs> and hitting uh, for a very high average and, and with power. And uh, I feel like I got a pretty good beat on the Zach Cozart situation where I think there's some genuine improvement for him. But he's uh, definitely a, a BABIP decliner, um, so it might not be a, a bad time to, to sell high uh, on Zach Cozart. You've got a similar conundrum now with Chris Iannetta, who went three for five on, uh, on Thursday with his eighth home run of the season and a pair of doubles. So he's up to five doubles on the season. And when you look there, I mean, this is just—you know—we don't think of of Chris Iannetta as a as a major power source. I mean, if you figure he, if he's got any sort of asset for fantasy, it's that he's always had a nice walk rate, pretty good uh, on base percentage. Although he doesn't hit for average, so that kind of weighs uh, the the OPB down uh, a bit as an anchor. But that that to me is kind of the one standout skill. But it's it's bizarre a world for Chris Ionetta this year. He has a 6.9% walk rate, which is by far the lowest of his career. It's the first sub 10% rate that uh, Iannetta has had in his career. But he has a 315 isolated power, uh, eight home runs in 101 plate appearances, and you know part of too what limits Iannetta's um, value, um, you know, not only the skepticism that you might have about his power, but the fact that it's a three catcher situation there in Arizona with nobody really stepping out and, and you know grabbing the the lion's share of, of starts and plate appearances. So there's all kinds of reasons that you could be skeptical or, or be a little slow to, to uh, pick up Chris Ionetta, maybe even a two-catcher league. But even if we just go to the skill, skill profile for Ionetta, because you could make the argument, as I'm going to make for another player in just a couple minutes, could make the argument that if he's going to hit this well, that it's going to be hard to keep his bat out of the lineup. But much like I've been saying about Zach Cozart now for two plus months, I don't understand what is different about Chris Iannetta this year. His fly ball percentage is, and this is off of uh, fan graphs, his player page on fan graphs, fly ball, pay, uh, uh, fly ball rate is 43.1%. His career rate is 42.5%, nearly identical. His hard contact rate This year, 29.2%. That is lower than his career average of 31.2%. Here's where you might get a clue about what's going on with Chris Iannetta. His career pull rate is 36.2%. This year's rate is exactly 10 percentage points higher than that. You might say, okay, Eureka, he is selling out for power. He's pulling the ball like crazy. Um, But you got to slow down with that conclusion. Because for each of the previous three seasons, Ionetta has had a pull rate above 40%. 41.4.1. So yeah, it's higher this year, but compared to the previous season, three seasons, it's only a little higher. And that very low career mark is front-loaded because he was an all-fields hitter prior to 2014. Like, extremely so. So the profile he's putting across this year is very very similar to the profile we saw in 2014, 2015, and 2016, uh, and in those seasons he had ISOS of 141, 147, and 119. And again, just to, to repeat, this year it is 315 so far. So this is just looks fluky as all get out, but we'll see. We'll see if Iannetta does in fact pick up more playing time, and with the greater exposure, can he keep this going? Uh, I, I definitely, you know, given that. Profile, uh, I'm, I'm very, very skeptical of it. But, you know, in the two-catcher league, your options are pretty limited. Uh, I wouldn't be against taking a flyer on him just in the fact that, like with Zach Cozart, maybe he keeps it going. Maybe there is something we just can't see with the usual indicators with Chris Cyanetta. But one player also with limited, even a little bit more limited playing time, who I am largely buying into is Eric Sogard. And I got to say, I don't get the reaction to Eric Sogard. I talked with Nando DeFino on the show yesterday. I talked about how I overbid on Sogard because no, I don't think anybody else bid on him in the 15-team mixed uh, Tout Wars Auction League. Uh, so I spent uh, roughly 50 out of $1,000 on him, I think. If I'm off, I'm off by a couple dollars. Um, it's not just in Tout Wars where there's a lack of interest in Sogard. CBS, Yahoo, and ESPN. Not and none of those platforms is Sogard owned in, owned in more than 5% of leagues ESPN actually has the, the highest so I'm going to talk more about Sogard later in the show but we're going to take a break from this to welcome Alan Jaeger to the program again looking forward to talking about the MLB draft with him so please stick around you won't regret it it's going to be good stuff with Alan Jaeger we'll be right back Welcome back, everybody, to Fan Rag Baseball. I'm your host Al Melkior, and it is time for our special guest segment. And our guest today from Jager Sports is Alan Jager. Alan, welcome back to the show. Great to great to have you back.
1: Hey Al, great to be on again, buddy.
0: Yeah, yeah. no, good to have you, and, and very timely because uh, the MLB draft starts on Monday. Goes Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday next week. And uh, I know you work uh, in Jaker Sports, for those who aren't familiar, work with uh, baseball players uh, from all, all different levels. And uh, I don't know which players or, or, you know, how many players that you're working with that may, you know, be, uh, you know, looking forward to being drafted next week. But, uh, you know, I know that you uh, you've got a close eye on, on what's going to be happening. So, uh, in fact, is there anybody that you've been working with uh, that uh, you think uh, may be going early uh, in the draft?
1: yeah i mean the the one young man who um started on our program as a seven year old and um we you know it's been kind of a cool relationship since then uh is hunter green so hunter hunter hopefully will be the first pick uh in the draft i mean uh as you know the draft is <laughs> it's very unpredictable um i've been through quite a few of them but um you know i'm we're really excited about hunter and we're really hoping he goes first
0: yeah, well, uh, yeah. I mean, that's he's certainly pro- probably the the prospect that I've been reading the most about in regards to this draft. And I would think if he doesn't go first, he he will go very shortly thereafter. Uh, the order uh, for those who haven't checked it out: the Twins have the first pick, uh, and then the Reds, Padres, Rays, and Braves. That's the the top five. Uh, so I would certainly think that Hunter Green would be be going uh, with within that span. Um, but you know, I, I want to talk to you not so much about who do you think is going to go where? Because, Alan, I know in conversations like you and I have had that uh, for fantasy purposes, you know, I think our interest is in, well, who might reach the majors first? Like who might be up sometime next year? Sort of like, you know, last, late last year we saw Andrew Benintendi up and now we're seeing Ian Happ up, uh, you know, for being drafted a couple years ago. Um, but it, it has probably at least as much to do with the organization as it does with the player uh, that, that's being drafted. And can you tell us a little bit about how the organizations factor into all of this, and and you know how much of, of a difference does it make in terms of which organization drafts a player and and what their trajectory might look like after you know after draft day?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think the main thing, of course, is you look at teams that, like Chris Sale, is a great example. You look at teams that um, are drafting college pitchers that are you know, sort of major league ready that um, in some cases, you know, you're drafted in June, September call-ups are three months away. I think that's exactly what happened with Chris Sale. Um, So I think that, you know, some teams that are in the pennant races, you know, actually could look at the draft as a possibility to get help uh, even within the season. But uh, naturally you look at the teams that um, are maybe in rebuilding mode, and so they're going to probably be drafting more high school players and pitchers. Um, and then of course you look at the teams that are, you know, tend to just restock like the Dodgers, Yankees, uh, Cubs, uh, well, even though the Cubs just went through a major rebuild, but now I think they're kind of in that discussion <laughs> of restocking, um, the Red Sox, you know, some of those, you know, bigger market teams. But I think the key is really just, you, you look for nowadays, these, these college juniors coming out, um, the kid at Missouri, uh, sorry, Louisville, who's the two way guy, um, Theoretically, uh, he may be uh, within a year away. Kyle Wright, of course, is the other arguable um, number one overall pick. Um, That's a, you know, the, the pitcher
0: it's, from it's, Vanderbilt, right?
1: Vanderbilt's pitcher. It's just hard to project for sure. Is it, uh, is it three months away? Is it a year and three months away? Um, everybody's track, of course, is different. And as you mentioned, it's a great point. Every organizational philosophy is different. Some organizations, even if someone might be might be ready. Um, they just want them to get so many reps in the minor leagues. And I think from a fantasy point of view, really knowing the organizations and which ones have been trending toward um, putting, uh, keeping players in the minor leagues, for, whether it's more ABs or more, more innings pitched, some of them just have philosophies, uh, which I can't necessarily disagree with, that they just want to make sure they get X amount of time in the minor leagues without maybe the, the pressure right away of being in the big leagues.
0: Yeah, well, and, and you know, there's all different types of fantasy formats of so people who play in a in a dynasty format where they're building their own, you know, sort of replica farm system. You know, those would be some organizations that would, you know, uh, they'd be developing players in a way that would be very favorable <laughs> for that, that kind of format. Are there any particular or- organizations that stand out to you uh, as, you know, taking a slow approach that's beneficial to a player's development?
1: You know... To be honest with you, it's just not an area I've done enough studying in to honestly say, you know, this organization for sure is more conservative than that organization. So I, I, I without, you know, I could probably throw some guesstimates out there, but I, I think really most organizations, I'd say, have the philosophy of being relatively conservative. I mean, I, I, again, I think a, a rare case, you look at a Chris Sale, a team that's in the playoffs or, or in the pennant chase, a guy that was just uh, unusually um, prepared and, or just in an unusual situation, I should say, to transition to the big leagues. Um, you know, then you look at someone like Carson Fulmer, who, when I saw him in college, you know, I watched him pitch, uh, even Trevor Bauer, and I thought, well, Trevor Bauer right now could win ten or twelve games in the big leagues when he was a junior at UCLA, and I thought the same thing of Carson Fulmer, I, although I didn't really know Carson ne- nearly as well. But, um, but again, even those guys, it's just the process, and um, so. I think you have to, it would almost be better to look at what organizations have taken that chance, like the White Sox that did with sale. You know, I think that would be more of the, the way to look at it. I think most organizations are going to be fairly conservative. And of course, any organization that um, is not necessarily in the pennant mix right now, they're, they're naturally going to take more time.
0: Yeah, and we're seeing that now with uh, the White Sox. It, to me, it almost looks like a departure where they, they brought up Rodon very quickly. Uh, sale, although in a, in a bullpen role. Um, you know, now they've, they've got four top flight starting pitching prospects and Ronaldo Lopez, Lucas Giolito, Michael Kopech, and, uh, and who am I leaving out here? Uh, oh, and Fulmer, <laughs> that's the fourth one, uh, you right. know, who they, they don't seem to be in any hurry to bring up, even though there would seem to be opportunity in terms of a lack of major roadblocks for the most part. In, uh, in that major league rotation. Uh, but I wanted to look at this question from a different angle. Uh, again, looking at not necessarily specific players coming up through the pipeline, but looking at how different organizations deal with them. And there was a piece in MLB.com talking about how the Brewers, maybe uh, more so uh, than, than most teams, have really integrated data analysis into the draft. Um, you know, not just into personnel decisions once they have players into their, uh, organization, but, and actually prioritizing players for the draft. How important do you think is that data influenced approach, uh, to making good, consistent decisions on draft day? And do you think that, and I think even more, maybe more important, Alan is, does that correlate with, with other practices in the organization that bodes well for a player's development?
1: Well, you're asking someone who's always trained athletes from an instinctive point of view, so you're going to get <laughs> you're going to get a pretty biased answer. Um, I have a lot of new school in me, but I have some old school in me as well. Um, I think this also applies to scouting. I think data is great. I think if you can see trends that are very, very powerful and um, you know very correlational, if correlational is even a word. Um, <laughs> More more power to you. You know, I think it's great. My, my issue is this. Um, I want to know the player intuitively, instinctively. I want to feel for the player. And I feel like where data can be really helpful, it could possibly get in the way. Because I'm more into gut. I'm more into, again, feel. And so I think that uh, I would prioritize my homework first and foremost with uh, obviously the player's skill level and, and all that but character integrity. Uh, I think I saw something about Theo Epstein on uh 30 for 30 or something. It was so fascinating. You know, he he found it was so important. He didn't just talk to the player or the player's parents and so on and the coach. He he want he, he they tracked down the player's old girlfriends, not current girlfriend. <laughs> you know what I mean? So
0: That's that's thorough. I, yeah. <laughs>
1: So to me, I feel like um, at the end of the day, it's going to come down to character, integrity. I mean, we're we're obviously going past the skill part, but character, integrity, chemistry. How does this person get along with teammates? How does this person get along with the media? Um, So yes, the data is important, um, uh, and I think there's definitely a place for it. I I think you have to be careful that it doesn't trump out um, the good old-fashioned gut instinct feel.
0: All right. Well, uh, I think we've got only about a minute left in the segment now, so I'm just going to uh, ask you one more question and just to piggyback sure. off of that, that uh, discussion. Are there uh, organizations in particular that you think do a very good job in terms of, you mentioned Theo Epstein and the Cubs, uh, not only finding players uh, with uh, you know, character and, and the, these kinds of you know, you know, soft qualities that you're talking about, but also in terms of, of developing and nurturing those qualities?
1: I do. I think that like everything in Washington, everything, but most things in life, you know, there's uh, there's some groups that do things, I think, um, better than others from the point of view of some do a better job maybe of investigating some of these areas. Some do a better job maybe of the data. At the end of the day, I think they all do a good job on their research. And again, I just think some might be better at um, tapping into the individuality of the player uh, rather than maybe imposing a, a one-size-fits-all approach. I think that's sort of the big takeaway I'd give you about how organizations may be different.
0: All right. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up, Alan. So I really appreciate you uh, joining me today. And uh, you know, go kind of a level deeper uh, as we head into the draft next week. So uh, be sure to check out Alan on Twitter at, at Jager Sports. Alan, thank you so much for your time.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on, Al. All right.
0: Take care. Well, stick around, you folks. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball, where we are staying alive. Uh, thanks very much to Alan Jaeger for joining us for that last segment and taking an organizational approach to uh, looking at the upcoming MLB draft, which starts on Monday, Monday. A few news items, uh, however, to get to a couple of second basemen. You have uh, some, maybe some daily uh, second baseman uh, options uh, that you need to go over. You have a couple more alternatives because Dustin Pedroia has been activated from the DL and Colton Wong has been activated from the DL and to make room for Colton Wong, Johnny Peralta has been DFA'd by the Cardinals. So uh, that's a, I guess I shouldn't be surprised or shocked by that, but uh, I have to admit, didn't didn't see that one coming. So Johnny Peralta, DFA'd. And also earlier in the show, I mentioned that Kyle Hendricks is on the 10-day DL. Uh, and again, it's supposed to be a minimum stay for him. What I did not mention is that starting today, taking his place temporarily in the rotation, is Mike Montgomery. And right now, the top of the fourth at Wrigley Field, it's 2-2, Rockies 2, Cubs 2, uh, so Montgomery is uh, you know, keeping, the, keeping the Cubs in that one. Uh, so two to two right now. Uh, but let's get back to Eric Sogard, who I had started to talk about before uh, Alan Jager came and joined us on the show. But uh, Sogard has just been tearing it up. Now, he, he just has 74 plate appearances so far. It's you know, certainly appropriate to put out all the caveats of small sample size with Sogard. But uh, he is hitting 415 with a 541 on base percentage and a 672 slugging percentage, which he bolstered on Thursday by hitting his third home run of the season against the Giants. Went three for five in that one with a walk. So he just keeps getting on base. He's got just a ridiculous walk to strikeout ratio of 15 to six, 15 to six. So very impressive on both sides of that. A lot of walks, very, very few strikeouts. And while he doesn't have a very high hard contact rate, he has a very low soft contact rate of 13.5%. So it lends some credibility to the high slugging percentage, um, you know, the good isolated power for him. Uh, So all the numbers look great. All the the supporting numbers look good, you know, surface numbers, supporting numbers. Uh, The the two concerns that I think are realistic and and legitimate to have for Sogard is the relatively small sample size and the fact that, even with even before Zogard started working his way into the lineup, that was a crowded, crowded Brewers roster um, in terms of lots of players who could claim some regular playing time. Uh, as it is, they're you know they're finding some room for uh, Ernan Perez, who you know, didn't look like he was going to be able to necessarily get regular playing time. He's been able to do it, and Sogard of late, not playing every day, but but I would say playing regularly. I think that's fair to say. So I do not understand why he is owned in fewer than 5% of the fantasy leagues on CBS, ESPN, and Yahoo combined. I really don't understand it. Because basically what that says is that there are NL-only leagues that Eric Sogard is on waivers in. I I don't get it. Um, And as I've mentioned a couple of times, I picked him up in a 15-team mixed league. And he's starting in that league, and I understand there's risk there because who knows? He's been starting, you know, last few days, but who knows over the weekend how many starts that Sogard gets. But you know, when you're, even when you're talking about that depth of league, a 15-team mixed roto league, it's not like the players on your bench or on waivers are necessarily going to be all that good, or if they are all that all that good, um, that they're necessarily going to play more than you know, say, every other day. So I don't get why Sogard's available in NL only leagues, much less fifteen team mixed leagues or anything that's that's in between. So he is vastly underowned. And I think that there's the potential there for him to be somebody you could pick up in an even shallower league. You know, maybe a, a twelve or a fourteen team mixed league. Um, you know, because the plate discipline clearly is superb for him. He's showing some power if he keeps that going and plays close to every day. That's somebody who's an upgrade for you in a standard league or, or, or something awfully close to a standard league. So check that out, Check especially in your deeper league. See if Sogard's out there. The ownership numbers suggest he probably is. Getting back to somebody who is universally owned, on the other hand, Gary Sanchez had a two-homer game on Thursday, both of those homers coming off of David Price, and so it's been a, a, an ugly couple of days for, uh, for Price Uh, You know, first of all, with a a tirade on on Wednesday and then uh, not a very good start on Thursday. Um, But Sanchez uh, in very, very limited numbers, great numbers against David Price. He's now four for seven with all four hits being home runs. And he's also walked twice against Price. Now, whether or not that holds up over the uh, duration of what should be a very long rivalry, uh, that remains to be seen. But uh, good to see Gary Sanchez adding a couple of home runs to his stat line. Uh, Derek Norris also with the two home run game. And of course, Norris has been in the news this week uh, because he's under investigation for uh, under the uh, Major League Baseball um, domestic violence policy. He homered twice off of Derek Holland Uh, against left handed pitching. Norris has an 808 OPS and a 13.2 home run to fly ball ratio. So that's really sort of in line, especially when you consider that Holland is a uh, is a fly ball pitcher. So, um, uh, you know, don't expect that we'll see that kind of production. And, of course, Norris's, you know, uh, future is clouded uh, due to this investigation. Uh, Joey Votto went uh, four for four with his 16th home run against the Cardinals on Thursday. Uh, and, you know, nothing too, not too much to see there because Joey Votto is one of the big, big producers in the majors and, and in fantasy. But he's, he is putting those numbers together a little bit differently. This year, Um, he's batting 300, which I, I have to say for any other hitter, it's like, oh, they're batting 300 for Joey Votto. It's like, well, why isn't he batting 315 or 320 or 325? And he's striking out less. So Obviously, there's something else going on there. And basically, he has traded off line drives for fly balls. So that would, in part, explain why he's on about a 45 home run pace. You know, certainly 40 plus is... Very much in reach for Votto as long as he keeps this up. Uh, and that that's certainly a, another level. So, you know, if he can do that and hit 300, that's thats a win. You know, that, that's Joey Votto actually returning more value than most likely what you had to give up to get him on draft day or on auction day this year. So that's pretty cool. But, you know, these batted ball numbers, as we've seen, both with batters and with pitchers, um, they... Uh, you know, they, they can fluctuate quite a bit. and It's not like it's a radical change for Votto. So I expect that, you know, over the next few weeks, you probably see that batting average come up a little bit. Not that you would complain if it didn't, but I would expect that, you know, he's, he's going to be on the north side of 300 rather than on the south side or, or even right around it. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see the power pace slow down. And again, whichever version of Joey Votto you get, it's it's a great player. Uh, it's a it's centerpiece of your team. Matt Carpenter, on the other hand, he's made a trade-off too, and he's been inching this way for a few seasons now, where he is trading off uh, batting average and, and on base percentage for more power. On Thursday at, at the Reds, he went two for four and hit his 11th home run of the season. So he's on these are the neighborhood of a 30 home run season. So as long as Carpenter can stay healthy, that's, uh, you know that's going to be uh, a landmark for him. But uh, he is really struggling with batting average this year. And I think there, there's just two numbers that are, are sort of telling for that. One is that he's hit 11 home runs. The other is that he's hit five doubles. And what, what a turnaround that is for Carpenter. If you think about who he was the first couple of years in the major leagues, who was hit, hitting all those doubles, but didn't seem like somebody that was ever going to hit 25, 30 home runs. But, you, you know, you would take that, and especially in a points league, with all the walks that he gave you, all the doubles. You know, you could take a middling home run total. He was going to give you a good average, a great on-base percentage. But, like I said, he has been inching over the last few seasons more and more towards just being a, a go-for-it-all fly ball hitter. And his fly ball rate so far this season is 50%. So he's really kind of completed the transition from, uh, you know, sort of a balanced offensive player to one whose main asset is is power. Now, with Vado, I, I would offer the same caveat that um, probably you see that normalize a bit just because he's been trending in that direction doesn't mean he keeps going to the extremes. I expect he'll moderate it somewhat, but maybe it's a mistake to expect him to get back to being a really good hitter for batting average. Um. Lots of pitchers to get to. Frankly, I probably don't have time to get to all of them. But uh, you know, heading uh, as we come out of the break here, we had of course a, a masterful masterful performance from Lance McCullers. A great follow-up from Edinson Volquez to his no-hitter, and another really disappointing performance from Garrett Cole. But the the performance I want to focus on is Joe Ross. Because he has been a hard one to figure out this year. And he's gone from bad to good to bad to to fantastic against the Orioles. Uh, Seven to third innings. Four hits. One run. No walks. And 12 big strikeouts against the Orioles on Thursday. And I put up a poll on Twitter this morning. Asking if you thought, was this Ross just finally Showing us uh, his his potential, or is this was this a, just happened to be a really really good matchup for him, and that it's the matchup that that explains the aberration and a mostly disappointing season for Ross, um, and it, it was very very even, and I'll actually I'll dig up that those poll results after the break. I have to admit I don't have them right in front of me here, uh, and that's actually still a live poll. So hey, you, you, if you're listening live, you can go out and register your opinion on that one. But after the break, I'll take a look at that. I've got my own personal opinion on this one. So I'll keep you in suspense going into the break. We'll talk more about Ross and Cole Volquez McCullers and uh, time permitting some of the other notable pitchers from Thursday. So we'll be right back after the short break. Welcome back, everybody. This is Fan Rack Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And uh, we're going to talk about some pitchers for this final segment. Uh, but we're going to start by talking about some relief pitchers because the news out of Pittsburgh is it has happened. Clint Hurdle has removed uh, <laughs> Tony Watson. I almost said Daniel Hudson for some reason. Tony Watson from the Closers role and the eternal question, Who's it going to be now? Felipe Rivero or Juan Nicasio? Rivero, Nicasio? Nicasio, Rivera? It's going to be both. They're going to share the job. Uh, this, according to Stephen J. Nesbitt of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. So uh, that is the big, big news out of Pittsburgh. Um, I'm guessing... Nicasio is probably a little more available than Rivero, but there there you go. Um, not much time left, though, so let's get to some of those pitching performances from Thursday. I definitely want to talk about Joe Ross. I'm going to save him for last and just mention that Lance McCullers uh, took a no-hitter into the seventh last night at the Royals, finished with uh, seven innings, one run on two hits and two walks with eight strikeouts. But performances like these are not, um, not surprising for McCullers. Enzo Volquez, on the other hand, uh, has really come out of nowhere uh, and been very good. I mean, the two starts, uh, two most recent ones are the big headline grabbers. grabbers he had the, the no-hitter. And then on Thursday uh, at the Pirates, former team, seven scoreless innings with just three hits, two walks, and eight strikeouts. Uh, so that's back-to-back, obviously, scoreless um, uh, starts for Volquez. But the last four have all been quality starts, and over that span, a 58% ground ball rate and a 22% called strike rate. So Volquez is legitimately pitching great of late. Uh, how long this lasts, who knows, but um, you know, definitely becomes very intriguing all of a sudden in 12-team mixed leagues. Garrett Cole, on the other hand, another uh, disappointing start, uh, this one against the Marlins, against Volquez. And now for his, over his last four starts, a 10.71 ERA with eight home runs allowed. And going back to seven starts ago, his velocity's been down about a mile an hour. So there's just a lot there not to like about Garrett Cole. And I think he's got to be avoided uh, outside of deep leagues at this point. But I'm sure I'm not telling you anything you don't know uh, about Garrett Cole there. But let's finish up here with Joe Ross, um, who had a dominant start against the Orioles, uh seven and a third, one run, four hits, no walks, twelve strikeouts. And so I put the poll up on Twitter asking, is it the pitcher or is it the matchup? And forty-four percent say it's the pitcher. Joe Ross is back. But fifty-six percent say it's because of a good matchup for Ross. And one commenter to the uh to the poll, let me find it here. Um this is at Mike underscore Santoli says Machado and Jones out. Very good point. But even with those two normally in the lineup, the Orioles are the second worst team in the major leagues in terms of restraint on pitches outside of the strike zone. And in this particular start, Joe Ross got a 47.8% O swing rate. Uh, that's a, a fan graphs metrics uh, percentage of swings outside of the strike zone uh, whereas a normal rate is usually right around 30%. So extremely high versus a team that ha- typically has not quite that high, but has an extremely high rate. Um, however, in Ross's favor, he did pound the zone in this game. So when he when he straight from the zone, he got a lot of swings, but he helped the zone cause by uh, pitching within the zone at a 50.5% rate. Um, and that's something that he that's been inconsistent for him this year. So... I think it's a, it's a little of both, but I, I'm good if I have to lean one way or the or the other on my own poll. I'm going to say it's mostly the matchup. I need to see a lot more from Joe Ross uh, before I'm going to trust him. I'd say even a two-start week in a 12-team uh, mixed league. So, that wraps it up for today. Uh, i be back on Sunday with FanRag's Greg Jewett, so I hope you will join us on Sunday. I hope you have a great, great weekend, and best of luck rest of your week uh, in all of your leagues.
1: Take care.